Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is a man who just received the letters of podcast impeachment this morning, Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? It's a sham. It's a sham. The do-nothing Matt, Matt Baker's spending all their time doing nothing. If you want to see Zach impeached and you want to donate to my re-election campaign, email us, podcast at romancircusblog.com. We're on Twitter. I'm at, uh, well, let's see. Hey, it, hey, it's Matt Baker is still a Twitter account that is up and act. Uh, how do I put it, Zach? It's a Twitter account. It still exists. You just can't access it. It exists. I currently cannot access it. Hopefully I will be soon. Able Twitter to realize what we've all known is that Matt Matt is pretty sus. And so mm-hmm. he uh they suspended him for suspicious activity. At Zach Mabry at Roman Circus Pod, patreon.com slash Roman Circus Pod. Rate and review us. Start the new year off, Zach, with a rate and review of us on Apple Podcasts. And uh, that's about it. Zach, for the first time in 2020, what's in the news? What's in the news? Um, Well, there is, believe it or not, a primary going on and debates and things. And so since our last podcast, Cory Booker has dropped out. very shocking um he will be missed yeah he he will he i feel like he almost had it um you know but he's out so we're down to just uh what a handful of candidates um they're fighting it's all sorts of stuff but everybody else is covering that so we won't dive too far into uh to all of that all that stuff Mm -hmm. plenty of time plenty of time plenty of time um Apparently the uh, the oceans are hotter than they've ever been on record. What? How that. hot is that? I don't know, but I don't really like cold water, so I, I kind of am fine with that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice, like uh, and turn the oceans into a nice warm spa for everybody, like a hot springs. Doesn't don't hot springs have regenerative properties for your skin? Oh, yeah. So, like, I have family in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And so people travel around there to, like... Yeah, I didn't mean the, the city. I, I meant actual hot springs. No, I know. There's the spring, so the water. Just kidding. People drink the water. They bathe in it. Um, I don't know what it does, but apparently a lot. Okay. Yeah, so we're turning the oceans into a hot spring. That's good. Yeah, I've been thinking about climate change and, like... I think that the main people who are opposed to it are people who have really expensive real estate in good climate areas. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. all the people worried about the shoreline and stuff, it's because they have beach houses and bay houses and lake houses. And so I'm pretty sure the rest of us are going to be fine. Like I'm not not saying I'm, I'm not even going to be a climate skeptic anymore. I'm just going to say, you know, I think that you guys have had your <laughs> chance with all the good real estate and it's our turn now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're taking it. We're, We're taking, taking over, it. Taking over the good real estate. Um, do we care to discuss the Diocese of Richmond, Virginia, Zach? 
Um, yeah, it's, you know, I don't want to get in a bad mood, so we can, we can go through it briefly. Um, do you want to give a quick rundown of the story? The Diocese of Richmond, Virginia, which is a Catholic diocese in Richmond, Virginia, Zach. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, they are allowing the use of the cathedral, right? Is that what it is? Or it's at least a parish. I, don't, I guess I don't know. Allowing Maybe a it's par- a cathedral. Allowing a parish in Richmond to host the installation of a Episcopalian... Is it Lady bishop? bishop? Lady well, Bishop. Lady Bishop. I don't know. That's what they call... Yeah. So, yeah. It's a bishop who's a gal, who's a lady... Uh, so yeah, so it ca- people were wondering why this Catholic Church would allow a non-Catholic faith to install a non-Catholic bishop inside of one of their Catholic churches, and people rightly and obviously, you know, complained about this. And the Diocese of Richmond, basically the bishop, just kind of sent a letter and was like, we hear you, but also uh, it's going on. It's going forth. Thank you for contacting me about your concerns. Use of space in a Catholic parish for the Episcopal Church to conduct their own religious ceremony is well within the accepted ecumenical teachings and norms of the Church. I appreciate that you are concerned that the sacred space of the Catholic Church be safeguarded, which it is. And then he says, I would like to encourage you to review the following teachings of the Church on ecumenism and norms for ecumenical activities and cooperations. Uh... Yeah, so yeah, in, so in 2014, I think it was, the cathedral in Houston um, allowed the Methodists to do the same thing. Um, and I remember being upset about it then, and people pointed to the same stuff, that somewhere it's written down that, you know, in canon law, that, well, okay, technically, blah, 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 blah. And it's kind of just some regula- regulation. It doesn't really touch on what we believe as Catholics. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a regulation that exists that's, that kind of vaguely says we can, you know, share resources when necessary. Um, it it usually doesn't seem like something that would override the fact that, you know, our worship spaces are designed specifically for mass and for Catholic worship. Well, yeah, that's the um, thing. Like just because just just you can do something doesn't mean you should. And also, this just fits in with the matt baker list of complaints of as the as catholics and as the catholic faith we need to treat sacred things as sacred right we're always giving little concessions on sacred things whether it be like allowing this to happen this way or like tolerating this to do this and it totally undermines the sacred right right? so yeah and i think that's a good point yeah, you, you, um, we, we so we get, say, what are you saying? Um, you know, basically we, we do have, you know, ecumenism, which involves dialogue with non-Catholics and non-Catholics who are baptized and, and whatnot. Um, but you know, the, 
the spaces where we hold mass and stuff are sacred and they're they're kind of just just for that you know they're not really yes we we should have exchange and dialogue with people um but that there has to be a point where but but this remains you know sacred for us and not i mean this part isn't what we what we lend over you know yeah it it you get your your kids are growing up and you're telling them we're catholic and we go to church and we be, believe catholicism is the true faith the faith established by christ passed down through peter and all the subsequent popes and th- that is the one true faith and there then but this opens it up for kids to be like well if that's the case then why did they let the episcopalians well and to take it even further I mean, you're telling your daughters, raising them in the faith that, you know, um, we believe that that men are called to the priesthood. And so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the practical implication there is that, you know, women can't be bishops. So you can't be um, ordained a priest or consecrated a bishop in this church um, unless you're Episcopalian. And then you can. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is totally, apparently totally normal and valid. Right. And I I think that that's kind of the unfortunate thing, too, is it's like saying, you know, you're kind of telling Catholic women like, yeah, um, you know, we have this teaching on on the priesthood and it's not meant as a slight. And obviously it isn't. But it it definitely starts to feel like a bit of a a slight when, you know, it's okay when for women to be ordained and stuff into other religions and Catholic churches, but they can't be ordained into the Catholic clergy in a Catholic church. Yeah, it's the it's. it's it's the by you're even though you say like you're not agree it's you're passively it's passive allowance well in this case it's not even passive but you know what i mean like it's just kind yeah. of a, yeah it's that's so it's unfortunate and i mean hopefully they i don't know we i mean it it just shouldn't happen and i mean I, it's not meant to be like obviously there's important um you know, exchanges that take place with Episcopalians, especially since entire, you know, Episcopalian parishes have, you know, become Catholic over the years with the ordinariate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then their clergy, you know, come in and are ordained Catholic and all that kind of stuff, but they keep a lot of their, you know, the Anglican ordinariate. So it's, you know, I don't think anybody wants to see a, a breakdown in the interactions between the two groups, but I think to, to like protect that dialogue that takes place that has borne good fruit, um, there need to just be boundaries, like with any kind of exchange, right? And I think one of the boundaries needs to be that our our worship spaces are for our worship, um, and mm-hmm. that's that's all. So it because you know otherwise, yeah. I mean, people are obviously upset, and they have every right to be. And and you know, I mean, people are gonna predictably they're going to take it too far and they're going to send nasty letters and those are going to be the ones that get quoted in stories and right all the all the all the people who send those letters that go to the non-latin mass parishes will be labeled as mean trads right it's like just because they type in all caps doesn't mean that they're a trad (laughs) yeah Um, well yeah and it it just yeah i don't know it's just not it's just not prefer- like what it's, it doesn't right. help. And that, that's it doesn't where help the at all. The situation is unfortunate. Right. Yeah. You're not like you're, you're not, yeah, you're not helping. You're, you're not helping. 
Uh, right. Which is, you know, that should be the motto of Roman Circus podcast. You're not helping. Yeah, this is not helpful. This is unhelpful. Guys, you're not helping. Zach, 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 how could we Matt. forget the main, the main story? You are basically done Mari condoing your apartment. I am basically done. I saw I have furniture that I have to get rid of, and I wasn't able to have it hauled off today like I'd hoped. But yeah, it's crazy. I have so much space. Everything just feels. Everything sparks joy. Mm-hmm. Everything is. Uh, you just you walk into your apartment, and it's just one. You're just one big ball of joy. Uh, yeah, I will say. I mean, I did move things around so that when you first walked in, there's like nothing that obstructs your line of vision, and it makes it when I walk in my apartment, it just feels like massive. Um, and I, I didn't realize having, I mean, it's not like I had junk, like I had actual, you know, like books and a cutting board and stuff kind of arranged on the countertop. That's mm-hmm. if you see my apartment, having all that stuff moved and it's just blank makes the room seem so much bigger when you first walk in. So yeah, it is big news that after, uh, nearly six months, I have finally, finished discarding all of my possessions that didn't spark joy and organizing all the stuff that I kept so that it has a specific place where it belongs. I probably kept about 20% of my original possessions. Amazing. It is. That's crazy. I know. I'm thinking about when I have to move, it's going to be so easy to pack. Are you moving soon? Um, I probably need to move in the summer to a cheaper apartment unless our patrons start stepping up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh okay. Well that's good. That's a that's a good batch of news. We got some we got some Catholic news in there, we got some political news in there, we got some Zach news in there. We hit Yeah, weird all, new age clean out methods. <laughs> we hit all the you want a quick sports you want a quick yeah, sports, let's do sports. News? Uh, LSU beat Clemson on Monday night for the college football national championship and one of the players who used to play for LSU, who now plays for the Cleveland Browns, his name is Odell Beckham Jr., and he was mm-hmm. in the locker room celebrating with the team. And while he was celebrating with the team, there were police officers in the locker room, right? Yeah. You know, he went up to one of the police officers, slapped him in the butt, and now he's being. Now there's a warrant issued for his arrest for simple battery. Oh. Okay. Well, first of all, if you're in a locker room, I'm going to assume that there's at least like a 30% nude. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. I mean, slapping, that's slapping bit... butts is classic football stuff, Zach. I mean, you know? that's that's the thing. I guess that's what I'm confused about. If you're at a celebration, this is what, I mean... You know, like, it's good to respect the police, but this is the kind of stuff that makes people not want to. Um, mm-hmm. So, so if you're he, if you're in the locker room and you're all your body parts and you're and you're, a, and you're a, a male, we want we, we want to have respect for the females. But if you're a man in a locker room and you have a butt, you are you're you're fair game you're fair game to get that butt just just slapped around a little bit zach yeah yeah i mean if 
I'm assuming it didn't leave a handprint, but even if it did, I don't think he has a case here. Well, then he can just sell it on eBay. Say o- it's Odell Beckham handprint. Right. Like I, most people would be on on Twitter, like Odell Beckham touched my butt. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> who was the guy at the end of the game handing out money to the LSU players? That was L- Odell Beckham too. Oh, that was him too. Okay, I was thinking it was, but I was like, there can't be two stories involving him. Yeah, He's, no. Maybe he, he was out of control that night. He was handing out. He was just out on the field handing out wads of cash to the players who won, and ever and that could be an NCAA rules violation. How could it not be an NCAA? Like if they everything besides the fact that everything is well, an NCAA rules violation, if, how could that not be one? If he was handing it out to seniors or people who didn't have any eligibility left, I guess maybe not. Okay, that's I guess that's fair. I don't know. The point the thing I saw on Twitter was someone was like, Oh, this is really wrong of Odell Beckham to do while showing screenshots of the bonuses that the coaches made for getting to the national championship game. Right. I mean, yeah, the system is the the whole that whole thing is a, a mess that has to be addressed. But like other schools get in trouble for like paying their players like that, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm just confused. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how this one doesn't count. I don't know. So this is why stupid rules are stupid. Mm-hmm. Stupid rules are stupid. Uh, yeah. So there's your sports news. Zach, one thing we've uh, been told here on the Roman Circus podcast is that, we have, you know, every now and then someone, not to toot our own horn, but people will talk about they listen to us while they were converting or, you know, before I got baptized, you guys helped me with this or that. And it's always very nice to hear. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you think it's nice to hear. I don't want to speak for you, too. I'm, I think I'm sure... it's great. Yeah, I love it. Okay, good. It makes me Just... nervous, though, then, because I'm like, oh, okay, well, if you don't become a really good Catholic, like, don't blame us. Yeah, I just spent two minutes talking about slapping butts, so we'll see how that <laughs> we'll see how that works. Uh, but one thing you suggested for we were like, this is the first podcast of the year. What do we do? You know, Catholicism. Not much has happened in Catholicism recently. Uh, they got all yeah. they got all they got all that out of the way in the first first year. In the last two thousand years, we've been looking for things to talk about, but. You suggest, and it's good. I want to give you credit, uh, even though we filed podcast impeachment papers earlier today. You said we should do an episode called Back to the Basics, so it's just an episode where we go back to the basics of Catholicism. So if anybody ever asks you, you meaning the listener, or you, Zach, what is the deal with Catholicism? You could direct them to this episode, and we will talk about some of the basics. Now, if you've been listening for a while and you are like, well, I've already heard the basics, well, you've already downloaded the episode, so thank you for that. You don't have to listen anymore. But yeah, it would just, I think, I agree with you, it would just be nice to have something that we could point people to. I mean, there's plenty of it, but in terms of this podcast where we talk about the basics of Catholicism. Right. And yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think we talk about a lot of interesting topics. um, But, you know, at our at our core, we are a Catholic podcast. Um, We do a lot of like cultural commentary and other stuff. So I thought, well, why don't we just, you know, take it back to the basics? I always enjoy hearing the basics restated. um, And I don't think I'm alone in that, but we will find out. 
yeah, we'll fi- we'll find out. Uh, okay, so since it was your idea, <laughs> since it was your idea, you sure. go, you do it. So yeah, we're gonna talk about Catholic doctrine. There's basically um, four main touch points that we can look to um, that kind of groups everything together, um, and this is sort of how it's been taught throughout the centuries. Um, first, you have the Apostles' Creed, which puts forth, um, you know, 12 articles, 12, 12 points of doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have the seven sacraments. Um, obviously, there's seven of them, followed by the Ten Commandments, of which there are ten, which put forth teachings, you know, primarily related to morals, but also um, other things. And then finally, the Lord's Prayer, which includes, like the Our Father, um, which includes seven petitions. And so between the 12 articles of the creed, the seven sacraments, the 10 commandments, and the seven petitions of the Our Father, really most of, you can summarize all of the core tenets of Catholic doctrine. Did you know that, Matt? Uh, not really, but it makes sense now that you mention it. It would, they are very important parts of the faith, and it would be good to have important parts of the faith kind of give a synopsis, so that makes sense. Like in it it makes sense that they wouldn't be just rambly, flowy prayers right. that that just kind of end up nowhere. Right, and I mean even so, what you'll probably start to notice is that that pattern tends to hold up um, in most catechisms. Even like the ninety two, the JP two catechism, basically follows that same pattern. It's just that the articles are really long, so you kind of, I think maybe sometimes the structure gets gets lost in just the the bulk of the text. Sure. Um, but yeah, for the most part, you're going to find things organized in that order. I mean, sometimes they'll group like the Hail Mary with the Our Father and, you know, kind of say there's like the key prayers, um, for that section, but basically, yeah, it's, uh, creeds, commandments, uh, or creed, sacraments, commandments, prayers. So, so shall we just dive right into the the first of the bunch, the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, I was hoping you would. I was scared that that would be the basics and this would be 22-minute podcast. No, no, no. Okay. Um, so, yeah, like we said, there's basically 12 articles of faith put forth in the Apostles' Creed. Um, it basically, the first one is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. Um, and within that, it basically summarizes you know, who God is, God's role. Um, under that, you'd have, you know, the teachings of the Trinity that, you know, with regards to man, um, all members of the Trinity are involved. Um, however, we do attribute certain things to specific persons of the Trinity, like specifically to the Father, to the Son, mm-hmm. or to the Holy Ghost. Sure. Um, but it was the Father that created the universe. It was the Son who created the universe. It was the Holy Ghost who created the universe, even though we um, kind of especially attribute creation to the Father. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of an important thing to consider is that, you know, yes, the Holy Spirit is also the crea- creator of the universe. Um, Jesus is also the creator of the universe because there's a unity in the Trinity that, you know, explains all of that. Um and then with that, I, I know that sometimes people will hear people say Holy Spirit or they'll hear them say Holy Ghost. What do right. you tend to say? Uh, 
I try to say Holy Ghost more. Uh, my Catholic school upbringing post-Vatican II makes it so I say Holy Spirit too, but I I attempt to say Holy Ghost. Yeah, so I mean, both are correct. Um, I also prefer Ghost, and it's because at the end of the day, the third person of the Holy Trinity, whether you call him the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, is um, a person in the same sense that God the Son and God the Father are persons. And mm-hmm. in English, spirit can also mean like, you know, like right. the disco spirit. Like yeah, the yeah, yeah. Spirit yeah, yeah. has kind of a, a vibey type thing to it. Yeah, it has like um, a, a mystic, mystical, non-Catholic, like a kind of like a non-tangible thing. Right. It's depersonalized. That's, like, you that, don't that's think way of, better. That's way better than what I just said. I mean, it's the same thing. Um, but, right. And so just as a, as a reminder that the Holy Ghost, you know, is a person, um, is, you know, and again, a divine person, not a human person. And, and the Holy Ghost hasn't taken on a human nature the way that the second person, the Son, has. Um, obviously that. But re- remembering that, you know, the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Ghost is similar to God the Father in that there's a there is like a you know a, it's a person he's a person um, so yeah in other languages that's more clear because spirit doesn't have that same kind of uh, meaning where you know also can mean like mood or um, you know I'm trying to think of what else you would think like you know like we've got school spirit kind of thing You're right like you wouldn't have that same equivalent where like school spirit and Holy spirit are used the same word, but they're different. So that's where we ghost, um, you know, it, it, I like it cause it, it makes the, the third person more personal, um, especially in prayer, you know, praying to the Holy ghost, um, realizing that, you know, it's, it's not just, you know, like energy waves and vibes, but it, it, it's a person, um, that you can talk to like a person. Good vibes only. Good vibes only. Holy spirits only. Um, Holy ghosts only. That's what we'll say. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put that next Halloween. Holy ghosts only. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's a good. That's a good thing to discuss because it. It. When we talk about persons and then you talk about spirits, like it. It. It can get kind of confusing, and it also makes you think that God, is is a person as you or I are a person, right? Like a human person. Yeah, yeah. Right. Which in Jesus is not a human person. He's a divine Divine person, person right. Right. He has a human nature and a divine nature, but he only has one, he's only one person, only a divine person. So Jesus is not a human person. Mm-hmm. Um, and like some of that seems tedious, but when you do get down to the meanings of those words, it is really important to know that the, essentially there are three divine persons. Um, and then beyond that, there's the angelic persons, angels and demons, um, and then human persons. Right. Okay. Like you, me. Um, and Dupree. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You, me, and Dupree. Yeah. Um, and, okay. Uh, so. Jason Derulo. So. Um, <laughs> The yeah, so that's the first article. I mean, really, just points us to God. All right, second article. 
um, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Okay, well, that's pretty, uh, there's kind of a lot there, realistically. You know, that kind of helps summarize the Trinity. Um, you know, Jesus being the only son of God um, by his nature, being the second person of the Holy Trinity. Um, there's really interesting reflections on how exactly all that works. Um, like one of the ideas is essentially that, that God's, um, you know, being pure will, his, uh, uh, or I think intellect and will, his, his highest thought is of the good. Um, and his conception of the good, because he's perfect, is itself so perfect that it actually is the second person of the Trinity. Right. Um, like his, his idea is yeah, goodness. Yeah, God's thought. And, the second person is the first person's thought of himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the third person being the love that those two have for themselves or they, have for each other. Yeah. Right. Um, which is like way harder to explain than we can probably pull up. Maybe you can do it, but I, I'll probably butcher it. But um, it's interesting to think about. Um, and then and we'll talk about this with the sacraments, but obviously um, by his nature, being a divine, having a divine nature, our, our Lord is the son of God. And then we can, through baptism, um, become the son of God because the, the, the things that are Christ's by nature become ours by grace. Um, and so we are creatures of God. We're created by God in his image. Um, and then once we're baptized, um, but not before, we become children of God. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're allowed to share. Cool. We're allowed to share. Right. That is really right. Cool. So when you get baptized, you get God parents and you get God as a parent. So it's pretty cool. I recommend it. <laughs> 10 out of 10 would recommend. Yes. Um, article three, uh, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. Um, so obviously, you know, this fulfills the prophecies for the Messiah. Um you know, it, it introduces us to uh, our, our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, you know, the uh, the miraculous conception and birth, the virginal conception and birth of our Lord. Um, you know, good stuff, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and there's obviously a lot more to be said there. I mean, again, Mariology is a whole subject, and Marian devotion is kind of the, you know, a, a central point of Catholic life, as we know. Um, hopefully we're praying our rosaries every day. Yeah, the, um, yeah. The, the point of putting that in the creed is to just make the distinction clear that it was conceived by the whole, like, as it says, conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. So it wouldn't, so it, it if it was the other way, it would just say conceived and of born of the Virgin Mary. Right. right. Okay. Um, and then we get, uh, Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. Or crucified, dead, and buried. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously that tells us about the passion. Um, our Lord's sacrifice on the cross, you know, key things, yeah. Of course. Um, you know, I always, you hate to be Pontius Pilate, and like, that's how your name gets, like every every day it gets said millions and millions of times. But in reference to uh, the fact that you made the second person of the Trinity and the creator of the universe suffer. 
Yeah, that's true. It's got to be one of the most said names every day, right? Besides like Trump and uh, The Rock and uh, Beyonce. But yeah, you're saying it. They say it every day. And think of all the masses there are, all the rosaries that are said. So besides the name of Jesus and the name of Mary, Pontius Pilate is probably right up there. It would have to be. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, that obviously is important. Then we get descended into hell. The third day he rose again. Why did he have to descend into hell, Zach? I'm really bad at explaining this. I'll be totally honest. I mean, my understanding was it was to get all the, everyone who had died prior to that time period, who was destined for heaven, who was kind of camped out there, Mm -hmm. um, in what's called Abraham's bosom and, take them all up to heaven right well yeah but also because of the i i'll say creation of heaven i know it's you know heaven i don't i don't know if that's the correct word but like because there was a heaven then there had to have been a hell so like it there the thing we need to remember is that god god allows hell right so god is like right the owner and sole proprietor proprietor of hell uh because it was part of creation yes so so it's not it's it's not like hell just magically sprung up right like he he had to open the gates of hell just like he opened the gates of heaven now that might be like a oh not completely correct way of describing it but i think you know i'm sure there are other better words to describe it but yeah that's what had to be well, you done know, he kind of conquers all realms right um yeah so yeah he does and i mean and that's an important thing he does go um you know his and this part tricky is so he had a divine nature and a human nature but then because he had a human nature he had um a body and a soul and so in his body which went to the tomb there continued to be his divine nature and his human nature, though dead. Right. In yeah, that's crazy. Soul, to, that's crazy to think about. Right, because I think a lot of people think that like his divinity was only in his soul. So once it was gone, it was just a body, a human body. But it was, it it continued to have the divine nature and the human nature, and then his soul also continued to be have a you know, a human a human soul and a divine soul. Both of those descended to heaven, to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think a lot of times it's easy to think that, okay, the God part of Jesus did that, and then the human part was in the tomb, and then at the resurrection they came back together. Mm-hmm. But never after the incarnation have the human and the God um, parts, if you will, but the natures of Jesus been separated. Right, they can't, you can't, you can't, God, God is one and can't be separated. Right. Now, obviously, the soul can be separated from the body, um, and that's what happened. But, you know, you basically, like I said, had both in both places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what the so, word... Yeah, that's important. Do you... What? Do you know what the the word for the combination of divine and human natures in the single person of Christ is, Zach? It's the, the Hippocratic Oath. <laughs> yes. Yes, he... Whenever he doctors people, he has to follow the doctor rules. 
It is the hypostatic union, which I think you knew. You were just making a joke. Right. I was just kind of joking that it sounds like Hippocratic Oath. No, I gotcha. Yeah, so he it's the uh, hypostatic union. That's what it's called. Anyway, what do we got next? So after that, we have um, the sixth article where our Lord ascends into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, so this is important because when our Lord ascends into heaven with his human soul and body, he opens heaven to humanity. Um, up until that point, it had been closed. Mm-hmm. So that's what like allows us to go to heaven is that our Lord ascended there and kind of opened the gates of heaven for humanity by uniting humanity to divinity and returning to heaven. Copy. Moving into the seventh article we get from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Um, his kingdom will have no end, etc., etc. So that kind of explains, you know, the basic teachings about the end of creation, um, the end of history that will take place. Um, Obviously, when we die, we get our individual judgment, but then at the end of time, there'll be the general judgment, um, and, you know, that's kind of how things will conclude when it's, uh, you know, when it's all over. He'll be the, the, the just judge that kind of presides over that process. Mm-hmm. Moving into Article 8, we get our good friend, the Holy Ghost. Back again. Um, yes, and so the eighth article, you know, it establishes the Holy Ghost as as being God, part of the Trinity, um, a you know, person co-equal with the Father and Son. Um, yes and yes. Then we get the ninth article, the Holy Catholic Church and the Communion of Saints. And so this is important. It um, reminds us that, you know, in addition to these things being true, there's also kind of the way that these things have been delivered to history is through the Catholic Church started by Jesus Christ. Um, and so this you know, reminds us of that. Of course, within that is the centrality of uh, the papacy, the successor of Peter, chosen by Jesus to lead the apostles, and his successors lead the church today. Um, and then the communion of saints talks about the fact that, you know, because our Lord conquered death, we're not separated from the church in heaven. You know, we're not fully walled off from them, and we're able to pray to the saints. They're able to intercede on our behalf. We can have devotions to them, same with the angels. Um, you know, those kinds of things. It's a big, it's a good one. <laughs> okay. I think that's one that, since obviously that didn't quite carry over to Protestants for the most part, American culture doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. And I think people sort of fill that void by seeking out kind of strange new agey spiritualities. Oh, that's a good, want... that's a good point. It's like a part of us that was part of us that was filled with something that, is going unfilled that needs to be filled. Yes. Huh. Um, Yeah, I never thought about it like that. And it, you know, because again, you know, you look at at kind of ancient Christian cultures, even the the ones that have endured, especially in places like Spain where they still do all their parades and processions and stuff, is there is this intense, you know, spiritual life that's lived out with, of course, God as the center point, but then also this entire family of the saints. And so that's where you have you know, metals and, and scapulars and um, blessed objects and, and traditions and things like that is, you know, it's, it's from that and those are all kind of spiritual. So without that um, kind of translating over into American Christianity, you get, you know, lucky rabbit's feet and yoga and, and that kind of stuff. 
Um, I mean, I don't know that people do the lucky rabbit's foot in real life, but mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, you get people who try and fill the void by, say, Marie condoing their apartment. Kidding, kidding, yeah. Zach, kidding. It's fair. It's fair. <laughs> Point taken. Point of correction taken. Um, so the 10th article talks about the forgiveness of sins. I think an important thing there, besides just the fact that our Lord forgives sins, is that this part is placed underneath um, where it talks about the church, basically saying that it is the church's power to forgive sins, mm-hmm. that God you know, has given the church that power. Um, and that's great news because before you had to do all of this, um, it was much harder to have your sins forgiven before. You had to like sacrifice animals and do all this stuff. Um, yeah, 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 we're not 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 looking to do that anymore. Yeah, I don't know exactly how all that worked. I just know that the fact that you can go into a box behind a screen and and just say the bad stuff you did and that you're sorry mm-hmm. uh, is a pretty sweet deal. Um, and we lucked out as far as how that works out. The eleventh is the resurrection of the body, um, which is. Big because again, this is another end of the world teaching. Is that you know, at the end of the world, when we die, of course, you know, whenever that may be, our soul will be separated from our body. Um, hopefully, our bodies will be buried and not cremated, um, but many are cremated. Um, at the end of time, our souls will be united to our bodies, mm-hmm. and that includes if they were cremated, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we can talk about cremation later, but the uh. You know, just an important point that our Lord's resurrection, you know, is a foretaste of what the rest of us will experience. And so, you know, after the conclusion of time, at the end of history, um, you know, everybody in heaven, and then, of course, as a result, everybody in hell will have their body back. So you will have a body and a soul, because properly speaking, that's what a human is, a, mm-hmm. a being that has a body and soul. Yeah. Or being body made and, up of body and soul. The human person is a body-soul composite. A body-soul composite. Yeah, because sometimes mm-hmm. you'll see people... They'll want to counteract the sort of lack of belief in the soul by saying it's not that you have a soul; it's that you're a body, or that you're not that your body has a soul; it's that your soul has a body. And like, while that's true to an extent, just in the fact that the soul is the animating principle, there's no you without your soul; it's just cells. Um, the ultimately, there's your your body and your soul. Um, even if your soul is kind of your essence, um, there it's all you. Which is why, again, as Catholics, we take great care of of the dead, and we you know we dress them up in their finest clothes, and we bury them with respect. Because even though their souls no longer there, that is still their body. So they are still there by virtue of their body being there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, people talk, and sometimes they'll back this up even to when people are like in comas. But they'll say, well, you know, she's not here anymore. And it's like, well, that whose body's this then? Like, I mean, who, that's her hand. Um, so but that's true, dead or alive, um, which is why, you know, we can go visit cemeteries. And I think most people find that, um, especially if, if they were kind of estranged at the end of someone's life, that going and visiting that person's grave can be a really healing experience. Um, and it, that's not just in your head. It's because they're there. They're body is there mm-hmm. um so so yeah um and then life everlasting obviously that one i think a lot of people get really stressed so i don't want to talk too much about eternity because it I think right it, it's a big it, word yeah it's never ending it's a big word 
it never ends. I don't, I can't quite explain it in a quippy way. So just know that it's cool. <laughs> the best way I was explained when I was weirded out by the idea of eternity is a priest once said to me, well, you're going to have to spend it somewhere. So you might as well spend it in heaven. Oh, I like that. Um, I think one thing I'd heard is like, you know, in heaven, you have perfect happiness and, but you also have full knowledge. And if you didn't have full knowledge, then, you know, that would kind of be, you, you wouldn't have gotten the full gift. Um, but that would include then somehow the knowledge that it was all going to end, which would undermine perfect happiness. And so if you think about it in those terms, and obviously for heaven to be perfect happiness, it also has to be eternal. So oh, you're not sitting there thinking, this yeah. is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 minutes to go. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. How am I going to spend my final moments? Right. Like that would conflict with perfect happiness uh, if it had an expiration. So okay. that's the creed. All right. So, I mean, obviously there are volumes and volumes and volumes of books that break that down. Um, but you can kind of see you can group so much of dogmatic theology um into that especially with the life of christ the nature of the trinity um the blessed virgin mary you know all of that sort of can fit under the umbrella of the creed which is why it's kind of used as a teaching tool and you know once you learn that you can just explore deeper um with you know i mean if you're a layperson you can pick what interests you and just study those things obviously if you're a teacher or nun or a priest you're studies are going to be laid out for you um and you kind of have to know a bit of everything but you know if you're a layperson, as long as you know the creed you can pick whichever part of it you really want to delve into perfect perfect all right so moving on from the creed we have the seven sacraments mm -hmm. matt can you name them baptism yes communion yes the eucharist the eucharist confirmation Yes. Marriage. Yes, matrimony. Holy orders. Yes. Anointing of the sick. Yeah, which I always I think extreme unction is kind of the term I like for that. Yeah, but, that's um, a good word. It's also commonly referred to as anointing of the sick. How many did I do? Six. Six. Baptism, Eucharist. Oh, confession, reconciliation. Yes. Yeah, confession, reconciliation, penance called lots of things um so yeah the like we kind of said the sacraments have different names marriage matrimony communion the eucharist um holy orders ordination penance confession you know all that kind of stuff um so again the sacraments are a huge area of study but at their core each sacrament is made up of um matter and form so there's some thing that is you know there and then the form is essentially the the words that are said right i outside of outside of the actual graces and spiritual benefits and actual thing that comes with those uh it, the matter and form are like the most important thing right because you don't everything hinges on those yeah because it, if if it's not for the matter and the form it doesn't exist like if you if you want to have like kid that's why little kids playing communion in their room is like you it's not just doesn't become the eucharist right because it's not proper form it's not proper matter or that's why 
we in, we say it's very it doesn't important. make any less precious, but yeah. Well, that's why you that's why you your sins aren't forgiven if you just have like a private conversation with God in your room and then ag- you you both agree that your sins are forgiven. Right. Right, because there wasn't proper matter or form. And so, yeah, I mean, basically the, um, you know, for example, when we're talking about communion, um, the matter is bread and wine, and the form is the words of uh, consecration set over, you know. So when a priest has proper matter, like a piece of, of bread, and then he pronounces the form, the words, this is my body, um, that becomes the physical body of Christ you know, whether the priest is a good priest or a bad priest or in the state of grace or not in the state of grace, there's no, it, it doesn't depend on his, it, it's really was the matter and form present. Mm-hmm. Um, now with ordination, like we said, the matter is um, the, it's basically a baptized male and the form is the words of ordination and the laying of hands by the the bishop. This is ac- um, actually it, it's a good point. Why you think like this is why this is a good example of why just because something happens in a church doesn't make it so right. Like so you you would think like you you can get you could get married in the church, but if the form and matter is not there, then it's not a valid marriage, right? So like thankfully, when silliness happens like this, it doesn't mean that because it's done in a Catholic church that this Episcopalian becomes a Catholic bishop. Well, right. And like, that's important too. And, but it also doesn't, it helps to like, you know, when it comes to light that Bishop so-and-so has done something unspeakable, um, all the priests that he ordained are still ordained because Mm -hmm. there was matter and form present. They don't have to be reordained by, you know, a bishop with a clean criminal criminal record. Um, Right. Which is important. And they're not for any former guests of this show who happen to be listening, who happen to be professors at Jesuit colleges to know too. Well, anyway. yeah. And I guess that does kind of go to one of the comments that Massimo Fajoli made on Twitter about what's with the, the ontological change that takes place in these priests that went on to be abusers. And it's like, well, you know, the change that makes you a priest doesn't make you, um, perfect. Yeah. Doesn't. Yeah. I mean, and so, I mean, it makes your sins worse. And the, the what happens to the change is that if you end up in hell as a priest, you're still a priest in hell. Right. And that's worse. Well, that's Because, the, I mean, that's like a big target on your back. I mean, if you want to talk about like going into prison with something that tells people, I mean, it just isn't, yeah. Haven't some, is it, I don't know if it's like a theory or some people speculated on that the, if a priest ends up in hell, his hand that's, bless that does the consecration doesn't go to hell it actually ends up like the canonical yeah the canonical digits i've never heard that but that's kind of awesome yeah i I can't Um, i don't know where i heard i I unfortunately can't quote where i heard that but it was one of those things like some things are folklore and i think folklore is important and so i don't dismiss it mm -hmm. um only like snobby theologian types have a problem with folklore Mm mm-hmm um, hence, you know, f- neat things were like in the in I think it's in Greece where the bishop throws a, a crucifix into the ocean and then all these guys swim out to find it and the one that finds it gets a blessing. <laughs> um, like, 
those are charming parts of religion. Like it's, that's great. Like obviously, yeah, that's not, there's not some deep theological, um, attachment to it other than the fact that it's, it's something that, you know, that we do as a fan, you know, it's something that we do. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. So for each of the sacraments, and I mean, I think St. Thomas, I want to say this is where he died though. So he didn't finish that part of the Summa, but his, it was finished using compilations of his other writings. He does the best job laying out at the core what each sacrament is, which you have to have that. And then on top of that is all of the deeper stuff and the more, you know, mystical and spiritual and, you know, it, it at its core though, it's, you know, so like in confession, the matter is um, all of the mortal sins being confessed out loud. Like mm-hmm. that's the matter is those. And then, the form is the words of absolution, I forgive you, being said by a priest. Um, no, no, I absolve you. Sorry, I absolve you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my apologies. Um, right, so and if you don't hear a priest say that, you just say, you know, oh, Father, it would really make me feel a lot better if you said, I absolve you. That's kind of how I they said it growing up. Um, and then you'll get that if, if a priest skips that part. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, each of the sacraments obviously has a whole lot to say and again volumes and volumes of books about each individual sacrament Mm -hmm. um then we have the ten commandments so what we know about the ten commandments is they were um the civil laws of the ancient uh israelites and of course they were divinely revealed by god um the they start out pointing directly to god so they're kind of in an order of importance um as far as, you know, first it talks about who God is and what's owed to God, um, you know, the first two commandments. Um, and then we get the third commandment about Sundays and Sabbath and that stuff. Um, fourth commandment is about honor your father and mother, um, which which does have implications that are pretty broad as far as the respect that we're to have for um, our mothers and fathers, but also any, you know, legitimate authority and then also you know, our, our ancestors, and that's kind of where patriotism comes from, and, and that kind of stuff, is we're supposed to, to have a sense of love and piety towards um, those who came before us, and those who are above us. Mm-hmm. Um, fifth commandment, obviously, don't kill anybody, um, born or unborn. Um, now, there is the, and, the finicky mm-hmm. definition of don't murder, so, like, there's you know, self-defense and all that. Right. Self-defense. And then there's, you know, explanations of, of what makes, um, for instance, a capital punishment carried out by states in certain contexts, um, not murder. Um, even though it's, yeah. So that's, there's, there's a something of a difference between thou shall not murder and, you know, taking any sort of action that results in ending a life. Mm -hmm. But the idea there is that, you know, the, the, the the default is don't end any lives and then you know there's these circumstances that arise um like self-defense when it's like well you know what can you do um that are that are sort of different and then you have like just war um which there haven't been very many just wars so when people a lot of people for some reason uh, don't like that, or I've seen people say that they they hope that Francis abolishes just war and just moves to just um, you know anti-war. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, effectively we're in an anti-war situation. There aren't any just wars being fought 
in, two, in 2020. Um, a war with Iran would not be a just war. The war in Iraq was not a just war. Pope John Paul II stated this clearly. Um, yeah, so but it's, it's hard no to get on that. It's hard to get rid of just war theory because, like, you there will it, you can't it, it close off. The, yeah, you can't close off the possibility that there will be. Like, it we're we're in such a rush to be like, no, 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 no. It's all bad. It's all bad, and be like, well, I mean, you can't. It that's not possible. Right. So, so I mean, I think just saying, you know, we're against unjust war. I mean, we all wars are are a tragedy, even just ones, and you know, all wars are to be avoided, even just ones. Um, but in an unjust war, it, it, it just shouldn't be fought. I mean, it can't, you know, that's the thing. Um, and so that, but to me, that's a stronger stance than just, uh, like you said, just throwing out just war and having, um, you know, a pure anti-war stance. It's like, well, but they're, the circumstances lined out in just war theory, if you think about a war that would meet all of those criteria, like that would be, yeah. You're essentially important. To you're fight. limiting yourself way more. Yeah, no, I don't know. This is probably a tangent we could talk about somewhere else. Right. But. Um. So then you move into the sixth commandment, which kind of gets grouped with the ninth commandment, which basically refer to adultery and then also just any kind of impurity, um, you know, related to. You know the the creative power that the body has. Um, you know. I don't know too much more to say. I do know that even, so interesting fact, um, throughout most of the last several centuries when, um, you know, literacy has been widespread and, you know, everyone can just go buy like moral manuals and catechisms and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the sections on the sixth and ninth commandment with teachings about purity and chastity um, were generally not translated into the vernacular, um, even in the seminaries so that really only the people who needed to be reading them would be reading them just because they're not topics that need to be debated publicly. And they're just, there needs to be a bit more um, sensitivity when broaching these topics for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I think it's strange when people are like, well, no, we need to talk about it more. It's like, I think we talk about it enough. Like, I, I think we, I think we hear about it a lot. Like I don't, I don't really know that we're working more against you, a culture that demonizes. It's hard not what? to. It's hard not to talk about something more and create less curiosity. Right, and I mean, it's like you kind of look at the sort of Christopher West mindset, and you think like, well, what, what planet is he? Are we on that people are not thinking enough about sex or talking enough about sex or people need to be encouraged. It's like, it's everywhere. Like, do you have television? Do you have a phone? Do you have, I mean, yeah, people are not shy about this stuff. And so even I was talking about slapping butts you know, earlier, Zach. <laughs> Unrelated. <laughs> okay. Um, the, uh, but the, um, yeah, like the, the idea that we need to encourage people to be more open or less taboo. It's like, there aren't any taboos left. Like I don't, I don't know what that's referring to. Well, yeah, it, it also comes off as super but, lame. But again, another topic we have can discuss somewhere other time. Right. So that leads us to the seventh commandment, which is often grouped with the ninth commandment. Um, the seventh which, is often sorry. The seventh the is grouped with the tenth. My apologies. Tenth. Okay. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Um, yeah. 
so yeah, these are groups. So the seventh is obviously not stealing. And then the tenth is about not coveting your neighbor's goods. Mm -hmm. um, and so the idea here is, again, it's like both the act of stealing and, you know, greed, wanting to steal, being envious and jealous and, you know, that kind of stuff. Like wanting... Not giving proper credit to tweets that you take. Yeah, cropping people out of tweets. That's... It's got to be. Oof. Oof. Unforgivable. You hate to see it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, those are obviously important commandments, um, as we know, and um, those factor into the church's, you know, kind of understanding of certain types of, of law situations regarding property, because um, the church has a sort of nuanced stance about um, property, obviously mm -hmm. acknowledging that from nature we have property rights, um, but there's still the universal destination of goods. Um, and so it, it, it's this, this nuanced balance that exists. Um, that's not quite the same as like a purely libertarian kind of contract based society. That's, um, you know, fundamentally built on property rights. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then the eighth commandment, which is bear, uh, should not bear false witness. So basically don't lie deal deal and so you know don't do it don't lie <laughs> okay um yeah so that again every commandment has volumes and volumes and volumes of books about it and you could probably get a doctorate in just one specific one um mm -hmm. if somebody wants to do it on the third commandment i would like that because i feel like that's the forgotten commandment um about keeping the sabbath holy because we don't strictly speaking have a sabbath but um, we do have the Lord's Day Sunday. Um, and I feel like there's not that. I, to, I don't know. Do you, do you kind of perceive that, too, that that one kind of gets forgotten? Yeah. Yeah. It it I. I mean, I guess as much as I, I feel like that people would be able to. I think they would be able they would forget if you ask them the 10 commandments, they would forget other ones first. But I think that, True. you know, we, we make a lot of concessions about doing work on like what, what is work and what is not work and what is, how do we honor, you know, we we're right. it's pretty, it's pretty easy to like, think, think your way around that one. Right. And you know, the idea in the past is what we would have for things like that is, you know, teachers, bishops, etc. That would help, you know, give us some practical um, boundaries to help help us follow that commandment. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can find those from the past. The problem is, is that the nature of work has changed, the world right. has changed, but the commandment hasn't. And so we do need, you know, I think it'd be nice to get some, you know, practically speaking, how does one follow the um third commandment in the year 2020 yeah um, i mean a lot of work is done online so if i had like a website job it's a lot easier to think that is not real work compared to like you know digging trenches right. manual labor well, and stuff. i mean that's that's the thing is like historically it was sort of assumed that most jobs were were arduous and manual and that's what wasn't allowed and so you know because you can read on Sunday, can you work online? Um, and that's, I mean, you know, I, I think 
that's not even me trying to look for a loophole. It's just saying it would be nice to be given some like practical guidelines on this. Yeah. Other right. than like trying to find, and I mean, I like reading old catechisms and I, I tend to recommend them or moral manuals and in trying to see, okay, how can I apply this in the current context? But that's one just because work has changed so much that, uh, yeah, it would be nice to, to have a refresher and, you know, canon law has changed. I mean, the church allows us, um, if necessary to go to mass on Saturday. Um, you know, while all of the saints went to mass on Sunday, we are allowed by canon law to choose Saturday instead, but it'd be nice to have an explanation on, okay, does, do, does that make Saturday the day that you need to not, you know, I mean, I, I'd like to just know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I feel like most religions will give you practical tips on like, okay, here's this ancient teaching. So here's a, a quick, a quick bullet pointed how to, how to apply this now. So if anyone out there is listening and wants to, uh, you know, make that happen for the third commandment, uh, give your boy a ring. I'd like to know. <laughs> Holla at your yep. boy. Yep. Um, all right. So those are the 10 commandments. And so then finally is the Lord's prayer. Um, so within it, it has seven petitions. I don't necessarily think we have to go through all of them. Um, but it was kind of said that St. Teresa of Avila could spend hours meditating on just, you know, individual phrases from the Our Father. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, theologians have written volumes about each of those petitions, everything from daily bread, lead us not into temptation. Um, you know, each little piece because this prayer was taught to us by our Lord, we understand it to be a perfect prayer, contains everything that a prayer, you know, needs to contain. Um, and since our Lord didn't really write, it's one of one of the the things we got specifically from him. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's where you can kind of see like the origin. Obviously the the Apostles' Creed um was compiled by the apostles based on what played out in history. The sacraments were instituted by our Lord Jesus. The Ten Commandments were given by God directly to Moses, and then the Lord's Prayer was given by our Lord to um, the uh, disciples at the Last Supper. And so as you can kind of see, these are considered, um, you know, the main categories for revelation. Like, what is the knowledge that God has given to us? What What has he taught us? directly as opposed to what can we learn through natural observation and study you know the natural law philosophy you know this is where it comes into like you know do you have to be a christian to be a good person well you know the idea there's under the natural law christian or not baptized or not state of grace or not you should be able to come to the right conclusions eventually on things that are you know matters of nature um but then no amount of that would tell you that God's a trinity or the words the Lord's Prayer or different things like that. And so these are, you know, what what comes in over and above, you know, philosophy is what's revealed by God and, and we call theology. I like it. It's good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Yeah, so everybody it, it, the Our Father the Creed. The Our Father I'm sorry, what were you saying? I was going to say, everyone needs to uh, memorize the creed, know your seven sacraments, memorize the Ten Commandments, uh, and, and the Our Father. 
I was going to say the Our Father is a great prayer that has been doing great work and is getting more and more recognition for it. Yes, it's been being recognized more and more. It's being recognized more and more. Sorry, I screwed that up. But also the great part about the Our Father is it's I get frustrated when people, and even to myself, but when people decide they need to do these like long rambling prayers because it's more personal and like these prayers just kind of float all over and don't land in any specific area and it's like guys just say that just say this prayer because the words were given to you and it's probably okay just to say it you know right like i typically if i'm going to be praying out loud um like if i'm praying for you know leading a prayer for a group or something. I always use a prayer that was given to us by our Lord of the church um, instead of my own words. Cause you know that I am kind of praying for everybody, but then, you know, you pray in your own words to God privately. Mm-hmm. At least that's, yeah. that's my, that's how I do it. I'm kind of how I've been taught. So those are the basics then, huh? Those are the basics. Everything kind of groups under that. So you learn those, and then you just kind of grow from there. I mean, if you understand those things, you kind of have have a wide grasp of the core tenets of the right. And you can pick out religion, like you said, it gives a roadmap of like, oh, now you can learn more about the Trinity, or you can learn more about the resurrection. So you 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 know those things, and you know what the tenets are, and then you can go from there instead of wondering what are like the foundational beliefs of the Catholic faith. Right. It kind of gives you, um, you know, again, a framework, to, like you said, so it doesn't feel random and whatever. There is kind of an existing framework that the doctrine sort of rests on. Um, and it does expand, like I said, from the Lord's Prayer, you also have the Hail Mary and like other prayers that are really important. And then, you know, with the Ten Commandments, you also have, for instance, like the precepts of the church. Um, so, I mean, that's the thing, it, but it stems back to sort of those four key starting points all right so we have a quick saint of the week we're going long but i'll just run through a little things here let's hear it saint hillary the patron saint of the feminists in the 2016 election amazing Uh, i'm with her (laughs) saint hillary of i think it's portier's it's French and it's P O I T I E R S. Is it Portiers? Portiers. Portiers. Port- it's, he, yeah. it's unfortunately. I think people's favorite reason they tune in is to hear you pronounce these like, I know. saints' names in the town. Well, one one day I, I thought I would like learn how to say words, but it's more fun to just be an idiot. And it, uh, uh, unfortunately for your, I'm with her. This Saint Hillary is a fella. Boy he was Hillary, a, okay. Yeah, boy, boy Hillary, Saint 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 Hillary the boy, Bishop of Poirier, Poirier, and a doctor of the church. Sometimes he is referred to as not only Saint Hillary the boy, but Hammer of the Arians and the Athanasius of the West. His name comes from the Latin word happy or cheerful. So Hillary means happy or cheerful, Zach. Uh, he also, he was a, he was married and he was a father, a nun of a nun and a saint who became known for charity. It was, uh, it's St. Abra, A-B-R-A. 
His feast day is January 14th. He was canonized uh, pre-congregation canonization, Zach. He died in 367. His attributes are Episcopal vestments, a mitre and crozier, and a beard, usually white and often long. He, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, like I said, we're going long, so I don't want to ramble about I don't I don't want to ramble about it, but Hammer Hammer of the Arians is basically all you need to know and it's a great great thing to be known as. And uh that's about it, Zach. So welcome back to the podcast for all those who are joining us in twenty twenty. And we hope that we will bring lots of great twenty twenty content and Zach has already left so I just have to kind of close this out on my own and we will talk to you all soon (laughs) 